Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone. This is Mike Lewis with the Fanalytics podcast. Today, we are going to do a marketing preview of the NFL season. Joining me, I've got a good friend and colleague, Manish Tripathi. Manish has a PhD in marketing at Northwestern, from Northwestern, the Kellogg School. Went through the Emory faculty for a number of years and has since moved on to working as an analytics person in the in the tech sector on, on the West Coast. Manish is also, well, let's just say an epic sports fan. And so I wanted to bring Manish in today to talk through what we expect to see in the NFL season from a marketing perspective. Um, so how are you doing today, Manish? Good, good, good. Thanks for having me on, Mike. It's good to, it's good to see you and good to talk to you. We're we're also doing video on this one, which we may or may not release. Okay, uh, please don't, because I have not shaved. And yeah, okay. I'll get in trouble. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more background. Manish and I, formerly at Emory, taught a course on sports marketing analytics, and so we spent a lot of time talking about you know issues related to fandom and you know issues related to marketing, mm-hmm. and so. You looking forward to the NFL season this year, Manish? Uh, yes, because as of now, my team is undefeated. And so I look really forward to it for the next month. And then after the first week, I pretty much am rejected. So, uh, yes, I am looking forward to it right now. So why don't we why don't we start there? Because your team is who? And I'm, I'm interested in how you're going to answer this. <laughs> the Washington indigenous people? Is okay. that, no, no, <laughs> no, the Redskins. The Washington, what, what did they say in the newspaper? The Washington, the Washington D.C. NFL franchise. Yeah, the, the NFL franchise. There's one I saw that was something like the Patuxent Basin Indigenous people. Like, you know, if you want to get even more, uh, more detailed. But yes, uh, you know, I'd say amongst my friends, most people still just say Redskins. So, well, that's what I'm gonna say. Has it almost gone full circle? I mean, has the uh, has the Indigenous people or the Washington Redskins as a like a potato? Has that stuff almost come full circle at this point, or the Washington, D.C. Snyders? Yeah, I, I think it's funny. I think this happens every few years. So if you go, even going back 20 years, it's there's there's a bit of an outcry. There's some articles written. People talk about it, and then we sort of forget about it. And I think the that outcry has increased over years, but it's still been cyclical. I think we've still gone through the cycle of, you know, it's on the front page of ESPN. Everyone's talking about it, but now – 
you know, you don't hear as much. And I think maybe that speaks to the power of the NFL. Maybe it speaks to what priorities people have. And at the end of the day, they don't care. They're still going to support the crappy team that is the Redskins. Uh, but, you know, I, I think you're right. I just don't hear as much of it as I used to. Well, and, and, you know, I used to go on record talking about the NFL thinking, you know, it's almost like it's like the Teflon League. Right, mm-hmm. that nothing they do seems to nothing that happens seems to matter. It's always America's, it's always America's favorite league. Mm-hmm. You know, part of me, but I, but I think as we go into the NFL season this year, you know, depending on your perspective, maybe you view it using some different words, but so, enormous marketing challenges, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so in terms of let's say the NFL brand, enormous amounts of threat, and so I think in former years, in former years. Was the the Redskins issue was 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 that one of the major challenges faced by the league? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Like you know, in terms, they, they didn't have many challenges to begin with in in former years. So you could say that a a mascot controversy, maybe there's steroids. Uh, there mm-hmm. was the beginning of domestic violence. You know, although it was a little more like not as rampant, but as you saw, so those saw those uh, sort of peak out uh, occasionally. So I think th- there were like one off issues with drugs and domestic violence, but things like mascot controversies were considered a, you know, the controversy for the NFL. And now they seem like small peanuts compared to uh, stuff with concussions, things around the anthem protests. I think that's, that is a much bigger deal, especially when you think about the attracting new fans to that base, right? I mean, there, I think we've talked a little about this, that there's this group of fans that are there, older, that'll be loyal no matter what goes on. But I think the NFL's real problem is, are they bringing new people to the table or not? And well, I don't think they are. Okay, so you know, are you an older fan? <laughs> I am middle aged, so yes, I'm an older fan. Okay, well, because I'm not, not, not as old as you are, but well, I'm an older fan. Well, and I, and I think it's an important thing because I, I think every time one of these mascot issues comes up, that seems to be the way that it is described. It's that the the older fans are the ones that are you know bought into and really fixated on the on the on the mascot and the younger fans they just want it gone and so yep. demographically i guess or chronologically where's the divide is it and what are you 42 43 manish in my early 40s yeah okay. 42 and so is it um are you, are you essentially the the break point or uh, i think and i don't know if it's just age that is the continuum we should be looking at in that yeah. break point right but um yeah, it's probably maybe a few years younger than me. I'd say it's that mid-30s is probably the area, right? Um, where if there's people of that age or older. And again, this is going to, there's as you know, there's a lot of other factors here. I think, you know, there if it's a team that's been really successful, like the Patriots, that break point might be somewhere else, right? If it's a team that, like the Redskins, has been pretty poor since 1992, uh, I think that break point's going to be in a different place. When you say the other factors... Yeah, you good with me lumping all those other factors into the word of culture? Sure. I, I mean, I think. Do you think of winning as being part of the culture? Sure. Right. So. Oh, I mean, I thought you were talking about sort of the fan base, sort of uh, cultural differences, socioeconomic differences, ethnicity differences, in terms of you know resistance or acceptance for the Redskin. Sure, I, I think that's part of it. But what I'm also bringing in is that. I guess it's the right way to say it is that, is that if winning cures a lot of problems, right? So there, of course, I think you're absolutely right. The demographics of the fan base, where you're located, the history, all that, that's going to play into it. But kind of connected is the performance on the field. So I have this feeling that if a team is doing really well, 
some of you know they're a little more uh, what's the right word protected from some of these controversies than a team that's doing poorly. Okay, so let's uh, let's put a little academic verbiage to that. And so there's this issue of brand equity, the the strength of the Redskin brand or the strength of any of the brands. Then there's also this issue of uh, consumer loyalty or customer equity. And what I was trying to get at when I went down the path of culture is in this idea of a break point on the age. Mm-hmm. Is is it because you know older people have just been exposed to the Redskin brand for so many years? And so if I got 40 years of fandom invested in that yep. versus if I'm you know 21 years old and I've only really been a fan for seven, eight years – is yes. that a lot of what it does, or is it kind of a cultural difference in terms of, you know, folks that grew up in the 1980s kind of, kind of grew up in a different world than folks that are growing up in the the, the 20-teens? Yeah. I think, you know, to be honest, I think it's both, right? Yeah. So I think it's a combination of those two things. That's if you take your first point, it's people who are in their 40s who've been a fan for a long time, right? They've been exposed to that brand. They're used to it. And for better or worse – it's harder for them to move off of it. They don't think it's as big of a deal because they've seen it so much, right? And this this is true, uh, I mean, I think even outside of sports, right? In general, there are certain, take social issues, there are people who have been exposed to certain things for a longer period of time, and they don't see necessarily the need of, for change or they're more hesitant to change, right? I think that's just a general thing. Um, where I think my point where I was going to, and I think this is connected, is if I, if you're a, and I might get in trouble with some maybe Cleveland Brown fans, but if you're a, if you're, if you've been a, a Browns fan, if you're forty something, you've been a Browns fan, versus if you're forty something, you've been a Redskins fan, that Browns fan has not seen anything really remarkable to speak of, right? They haven't won anything in their lifetime. They've the seen 40, a lot of remarkable stuff. No, no fair enough. Sorry. So, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is absolutely true. They have seen a lot of remarkable stuff. They haven't, they, they haven't seen any victories in in major uh, bowl game, major playoff or or Super Bowl games, right? So they've seen remarkable fumbles. They've seen uh, other things, remarkable drives, perhaps, right? But as opposed to the forty year old Redskin fan, who at least twenty years ago, when they were a younger fan, saw the team win three Super Bowls, right? So I think it's that's where it's, I think it's that combination of you're right. There's the age part of it, and the acceptance, but also if your team has performed well, I think you're even more loyal to that, right? Okay. So I think those things work together. The consumer, the fan, uh, their loyalty to the team, and I don't think there's any con- anything controversial here, is a function of exposure and then the, the quality of the exposure, right? Has that, has that, team, has that team won? Uh, how are the Redskins expected to perform this year? Well, I, I don't even have to look. Uh, it's always going to be either seven or nine or eight and eight, right? Seven, eight. That, <laughs> it, it, that's pretty much consistent. We're right around, we'll probably miss the playoffs by a game or two, right. be competitive for a little while, and, and that's about it. And, and I think I think you're right. I mean, but it, but it's an interesting one, right? So so let's say the uh, class of the the class of the league in terms of brands are. I'm going to avoid the Patriots. Patriots, just because you know, folks will still claim that this is a fair weather fan base even after decades. But so let's say it's the uh, the Cowboys and the Steelers, maybe maybe the Packers mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. That the historical success basically interacts and causes that extreme loyalty, right? So long term mm-hmm. consistency and long term loyalty. And and I raise that point just because. You know, when you're saying that the, the associations or the loyalty is strengthened by the, the quality of the team, one of the thoughts I've always had on these mascot issues is, you know, when the team wins is actually be the right time to change the mascot change if they were going to. Mm-hmm. 
but is it a double-edged sword, right? If the, if the Redskin, Redskins won the Super Bowl right. and then you were going to change it, would that be even worse in a way? Or should you should you change the name as you're slinking out of town? It's like, right. you know, we won one game last year, so now we're the, we want to erase the history and move yeah. on to something else. That's a really interesting point. I mean, I, I think – we could make an argument either way, right? So it's yeah. been, and and I, I, what do you think mitigates that? Do you think it's uh, for certain teams the identity, the sort of the the name is even more closely linked to the sort of identity or how they think about the team? For others, it's a little further apart, and so that's going to make a difference in terms of the timing. Like, I mean, I think it's it, it would definitely be by a case by case basis, and and I think I could definitely make the the case either way. You know, it's like. Uh, well, I did see it fire. Yeah, you know, it almost ends up being kind of an interesting marketing question. So it's like, so if it is something where you almost want to degrade the brand before yeah. you change it, it does yeah. set up something like where, where I think you see in places like Major League Baseball, right, where you where you tear down the roster and invest in the farm team. So that you can, you know, put a uh, put a great team out there, and I think we've got a little bit of an example here in in Atlanta of the Braves doing something like that, and so sort of tearing it down. Um, and, and the NBA definitely, right? It, it's almost part of the what, what, what do the Sixers call it? Part of the the program, the, pro- the, the process, the, uh, the process. Well, let the me process. ask you this: it kind of an experience. So, how do you think, like, when when there's a new, when an expansion team, right, or a new team, how much do you think the at that point the selection of the mascot, how much does that play into the brand loyalty, uh, you know, or the fan equity in some ways, right? So it's like whole new team, right? Uh, there's no history attached to it. Now, of course, people might infer the history from something else they know about that mascot, obviously. But how, how do you how do we think about sort of the inception versus like when there's been a brand that's been around for a while? Like, should, would we expect something different? Like, if all of a sudden, if a new team was starting now, obviously, the, the extreme example, if you couldn't start a team now and call it the Redskins, right? Um, what if you wanted to make a lot of publicity, Manish? <laughs> that would work. <laughs> sure, but but in terms of selling season tickets, I mean, I think there's a there's a broader issue here, right? And like, how important are any of these brands, the brand imagery associated with teams and sports? How meaningful of that in terms of you know driving success? I, I guess where I come down to it, it's that the the brand the team name, and I'm going to use those interchangeably, yep. is mainly a point of, you know, a point for a community to build around. Mm-hmm. And so the team names only potentially matter in my worldview as they are not something, they're at least interesting enough and they're compelling enough that people want to use those as a focal point to build around. And, you know, mm-hmm. we mentioned a couple of them. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Green Bay Packers are, you know, in hindsight, inspired ideas, right, because they're building around some aspect of the local community. What do you think? Sure. No, I think that's fair. I think that, that, In fact, you see that now with, uh, for example, I'm out in Seattle, and there's a new hockey team that they're supposedly bringing in in 2020, and there's been a lot of debate around what should the name be, right? And there is, and you sort of hear that, like, should it be something that's more represents the history of Seattle, really is tied into the Could DNA? it be the Sonics? Right, well, for, I mean, for, a hockey, for a hockey team? Sure, why not, right? <laughs> but, but, but I think that's to the, the earlier point. Is there's the, Some of these names have such an attachment already to them, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're bringing on that baggage... Well, what's, like, the newest, what's the newest expansion team across all sports? It's the... Um, 
Some probably MLS team is my uh, guess. Well, I was thinking. Uh, I was thinking hockey. Is it the? Yeah, I mean, a lot of MLS. Well, the, well uh, the Vegas, right? It's the right. Las Vegas. Uh, what are they? The Golden Knights. The Army. They're basically Army, right? Golden Knights, right? Um, <laughs> who cares, right? I mean, so- soccer is an interesting one, right? Because, well, how many teams in the MLS are called FC or United at this point? Well, yeah, but a lot of them are that way, right? Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Yes, um, but they still have mascots, but they're called FC or United in their names, right? So, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. I- Go on. Let me ask you this. And I was thinking about this, like, and this is a little from what we were mentioning earlier, but what is, do you know what the average age of an NFL fan is? Is it going up? Like, is it, if you think about the acceleration, like, we always talk about how baseball has these really old fans, right? Right. Is, is football starting to get up there? Do we know? Because to me, like, this is getting back to your point of, like, the age divide and, and, and problems that the NFL might have, right? Cause, okay. Uh, is, 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 do you know, like, is that increasing, decreasing? Like, well, I mean, I, I think this moves us to, um, let's call it topic two and maybe the much more dangerous topic for the NFL. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if the anthem protests have the effect of actually lowering the average age of an NFL fan. Lowering the average age. You know, we talked a little bit about culture and, and age effects, but so right. if, I, if I'm thinking about the the folks that are very different perspectives on the anthem protests, sure. I mean, I think that's got to be, I mean that that's that's got to be the 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 major issue across the board for NFL fans, right? But well, okay, actually, let's let, let's hold on. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to disagree with that statement. Well, because, not not, uh, not let me say that not the major issue for fans. Let me say the major issue for the league in terms of marketing. But, but I don't think it should be. And, and okay. here's why. And because if you look at some of the data, what they cite, I have seen nothing that actually tells me that it's these anthem protests that is causing a decline in anything. Right. Okay. So there's, there's, they, they, they cite some studies from a very small sample that I, the questions are asked very differently. And I don't, I have seen nothing that actually tells me uh, that this is the big driver of why. I, sure, ratings are going down. But there's a lot of other stuff happening. There are more outside options. Kids, you know, the, if you think about the stock, stock of younger people coming in to watch the game, that's decreasing for a lot of other reasons already, right? Okay. So there's there's other options. People don't care about the – people aren't playing football as much anymore. So I just think it's funny that we're all uh, accepting this premise that it is the the anthem which is what's leading to this uh, decline in ratings or decline in popularity. Whereas, I mean, I feel like this has been growing over time already. This is not – Okay, uh, it's easy to point to the anthems, but I, I kind of reject the premise. Well, let me let me say something kind of long-winded here. Oh, sure. And that there's a, I think there's a, a bunch of what you said, and we can sort of debate some of it or speculate. I think more speculate about it in either direction. Right. But fundamentally, like th- this issue of an empirical trend. So a lot of when you see these articles talking about the anthem protests that there'll be some data that'll be put out there talking about how, you know, essentially TV ratings are down, okay? Mm-hmm. This is something that I've not had the opportunity to explore, and so I'm going to talk around the edges of it. And is, um, sure. As an academic, you know, you know that one of, one of the types of data that's actually seems like a sports marketing group should talk a lot about is TV ratings, but it tends to be data that's not really accessible to academics, Right. So it's hard for, you know, so I can't start out saying that, uh, well, I've looked at the data and it's factor X, factor Y, et cetera. And so 
and I'm doing this for the audience and not for not for you, Manish. But it's like so. If you think about the basic analytics problem of diagnosing the reason, diagnosing the cause of the NFL ratings decline, you've got some data, and basically you get a new sample of data every week, right? Yep. So you get a point, uh, a signal in terms of let's say the health of the fan base or the interest of the fan base. And the game or the goal of the analyst is to figure out what is driving that. Mm-hmm. And and so the possible explanatory variables that – and then you know the, the standard approach would be that you would throw some statistical analysis or you know if you had granular enough data, I suppose, some sort of machine learning approach at it. Of course. That we would try and – that we would try and figure out the relative impact of the presidential election and the mm-hmm. debates, the relative impact of younger people not watching sports, not having cable TV, um, the impact of oversaturate, oversaturation in terms of the NFL having games on endlessly, et cetera, et cetera. Competition right. from the NBA. And what you would try and do statistically is to isolate the effect of the anthem protest. And if you had detailed enough data, maybe you could go city by city, right, and say, well, the protests were severe here, and you got this reaction, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, I agree 100%, and, and I um, I think that's exactly how one would approach it. And I'm not going to debate. I think it's completely fair to say that there's a, long, there's a long-term impact that could happen from this, right? And this is where you go back to, I think, where we were walk, walking towards was you thinking that, well, the average age will go down because some of the people who've been watching will get turned off by this and stop yeah. watching. And of course, the assumption there is that there's the, that the younger pot is growing too, right? In right. order for it to, to, to be. But uh, I, to me, and so I think that's a completely fair statement. What surprises me is those models, that, 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 those kind of effects take some time. And what we're really mm-hmm. just seeing is a few vocal people saying, well, I'm not going to go to the games because these entitled football players are disrespecting the flag. So it, it, to me, it's like, I. It's a nice narrative to tell. There's some anecdotal evidence that's, that you know speaks to it. But I'm not aware of any study, any data by the NFL, by anyone else that right. tells me that, that this is a real problem. No, and it, 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 uh, you know, right now, right now, of right. course, it's, it's it's potential long-term problem. But this the idea that people have stopped going to games because of this is is utterly to me ridiculous without seeing the data. And as an academic, like I'd be fascinated to look at the data. And to be able to construct the data and and see what we could see what we could tease out of it, uh, but I don't I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I, so I it's it's an interesting question, right? It's like, I mean, even assembling the database would be interesting on that one, right? Because it's like a lot of the factor. You know, usually when when you're doing an an analytics project, sort of the data set is kind of obvious in terms of how to assemble it. You know, you're sort of looking at the factors directly under the NFL control. This one, you might want to go well beyond the NFL control. Donald Trump tweets, this is what becomes interesting. So it's a consumer product, and the tweeting history of the president might be a a relevant explanatory variable. Yeah. Well, actually, let me ask you this. This might be a dumb question, but let's try this. Let's assume that you had all the data, right? And you're the NFL, you have all the data. You did the analysis, and you actually found that there is no impact. Okay. Would you okay? But given sort of the 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 PR and what's going on, could you actually even act on that data? Wouldn't you? Still, I feel like you still have to play this game, even knowing, like, if, if your data told you, like, you know, that we don't see anything in the short term, there might be some long term effect. But 
it's almost like even knowing that, I'm not sure how much that would influence the decisions that the NFL is making right now. Like having that analysis done, do you think they would act differently than they are right now? Well, and and I want to come back. I want to come back to the analytics here in a second. But I guess when I look at this in terms of you know when you when you raise the issue of what should the NFL do, I'm much more politically. I don't want to use the word conservative, but let's say much more right wing than the Manish is. So our our initial biases coming at this story are probably fairly different. Well, and as an outsider, I have tremendous sympathy for the NFL because I think in some ways what the NFL has found themselves in the middle of is the verbiage is too far, but they found themselves in the middle of a cultural and a political war. And I don't think the NFL really did anything. I mean, it's like, I don't think the players were really sort of what drove this clash between right and left. I think this clash between right and left is what the, some of the NFL players are, are reacting to. And so it, it's a matter of, you know, not so much what would the NFL do, but the NFL is now – the NFL is like a boat – you know, it was this luxury cruise liner cruising along with, you know, ultimate stability on this giant ocean. And now there's a storm raging all around it. How do they react to it? Yeah. And you got to say they have not done a good job of reacting to it, right? They have one view, then they change their view. And they're so, so there hasn't been any decisive action, right? I mean, we can agree on that. They, they're sort of wishy-washy in what they want to do. And I think you combine that with... But is there anything they could do that wouldn't annoy 40% of the population? <laughs> no, I, 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 think, I think you're right. I mean, or, you know, or, or if they'd simply sort of come out... Of, no, and you're right. It would have annoyed... I'm thinking like no matter what decision they make, they're kind of, you know, there's gonna, they're going to piss someone off. I mean, maybe, you know, it, it, and this is going to annoy some folks. I mean, the smart play would have been, probably been to figure out a way to just nip this in the bud and say, we don't do political protests on our sidelines. Sure. And that that's sort of my case, it's trying to take all the politics out of it just as a business person. Sure. It's like, it's, you just do the thought experiment. How can bringing politics into your business ever help you in an ultimate, well, in an amazingly well, well, divided country? Well, then we don't do, we don't take money from the military to do advertising. Yeah. We don't get benefits from the government in terms right. of antitrust. I mean, you can't have it both ways, right? Well, but you, but you, but you want to have it both ways, right? Right. You right. want to have, you want to have stuff that basically ninety percent of the people are in favor with. You want you want to have plenty of that stuff going on, but man, right. you don't want to hit these kind of third rails. But do, do you think this also speaks to? And this is slightly different, but don't you, this also speaks to in this modern age, even in the NFL, the power of the individual brand, right? So like it maybe because of social media and for other things like a protest thirty years ago, especially by NFL players, because NFL is like one of those where you know you're wearing the helmet. Right, you not you don't see their faces as much as opposed to the NBA and some of the other leagues. Like, does this speak a little bit to the the power of the 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 player, the individual in today's world versus what it was thirty four years? Like, you know, it's like I feel like that that also is figuring into the calculus that the NFL has to deal with. Is their players have much more of a voice? And then, by the way, the NFL has some of the most draconian rules about the talent that they have. Right? I mean, they really in terms of there's very little power players have in the NFL as compared to some of the other leagues. And it's a little scary that even a little bit of, of, of power to the players has the potential of really wrecking this league. Yeah, I mean, so you, you, you're thinking about specific players leading the protests? Well, I, 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 of course, Colin Kaepernick gets a lot of the, the visibility. Mm -hmm. But what I think is, is interesting is, and, and, by, by, and, and 
and you see what they do, right? Anyone who actually is involved in the protest, these guys are colluding not to hire them or not okay. to go, right? So there, there, there is that power there. But what I'm thinking is that if they, if NFL, this happened 20, 30 years ago, the NFL could have dealt, had a lot more power against the, the players union, had a lot more power in general in terms of how fans identified a lot more with the team and not necessarily with the players. But I think because of media, because of accessibility, the yeah. players' individual brands, that's a lot harder for the NFL to do. I think one of the challenges in this conversation is that we find ourselves going back and forth between, let's say, the sort of the marketing questions and the marketing issues and some of the, I don't know what we want to call it, some of the more um, ethical issues perhaps or philosophical sure. issues. You know, I mean, if I'm an NFL as, a, as the league or if I'm the NFL in terms of a team and you say, well, players tend not to have a lot of visibility. And I think that's true, right? The, the comparison I would always make is to the NBA, right? Because a Colin Kaepernick kneels on the sidelines, you know, however you want to interpret that, you know, Colin Kaepernick probably is not that important to the league as a as a component part. Yep. We switch this to the NBA and you have a LeBron James, you know, taking a knee or refusing to come out during the national anthem and you have an epic disaster. Right. Absolutely. And even that, I mean, and you're old, so you might remember this, right? If you go back, uh, who's the guy? Exactly. That's, uh, Let's be direct. Right. Let's be direct yes, on this. Like you're more than a half century old. Uh, do you remember the guy? I think his name was, was it Chris Jackson? He played for LSU. And because you asked so nicely, I will give you some wisdom. Okay. <laughs> I think he, he then he changed his name to was it uh, like I'm gonna totally butcher like Mahmoud Raouf or something like that. He was an NBA okay. player. Yeah. And he he for a while decided like like wasn't going to stand during the anthem. Mm-hmm. And and I remember like yes it got some some ink, but after a little while they sort of resolved it pretty quickly and and they made some. I think like if he had done that in today's day and age, like if a player like that in the NBA. It'd be very interesting to see what the reaction would have been because well, there's a lot. Wait, sorry, it, it can it can go back even farther than that. I mean, and this is before my time, but I think it was the '68 Olympics in Mexico yep. City. You know, some of the African American sprinters actually did a Black Power. I don't know what the sort of the raised fist salute on the podium. Yep. And so, you know, there's a history of this kind of thing. Um, you know, maybe some of it gets back to your point that you know why this is something that cannot be diffused is because everything is now 24-7. Yep. You know, and it's not even just TV anymore or magazines. Now it's 24-7 and it's immediate feedback in terms of social media. It goes, everything is viral now in a way. Yep. I, I think you're right. And so, I mean, let me ask you this then. I mean, if you're the NFL, if you were the NFL, if, you're, if you were, uh, you know, in charge, if you are the commissioner, if you were Roger Goodell, I mean, do you think he's dealing with a problem? What would you do? I mean, how would you handle this? Like, do you think they're handling it properly, the owners? Do you think they're, you know, what is the right? I don't know. I don't know if anyone knows the right answer, but is there something you can, I mean, besides trying to limit the power of the players? Now, remember, you're also using the players to market your brand. Right. Besides, right? Like, what, what, I mean, what can you do that doesn't alienate a large group of people, essentially? So let me, let me bring something back full circle in terms of, or not full circle, but sort of circling back just a little bit. You asked me if I was the NFL, what would I do? And and one of the things that popped into my head when you had that discussion was I would like to see more data. Yeah. And in addition to let's say the you know the the sort of 
week by week or even, let's say, minute by minute, you know, how many people are turning off when a protest is happening, you know, in the pregame, right? Yeah. I'd also like to see some primary market research because I think this is one of these business problems where you don't want to just be concerned with statistical analysis of the data. You actually want to talk to consumers because I, I think you're right that, you know, if someone's been a fan for... You know, if a lot of your fan base, and let's just say the fan base is getting a little bit older, and so a lot of your fans have been following you for 40 years, then you may not even pick up a problem in terms of what you see in the data, right? That the weakening, you know, maybe if, you know, I ask you, you ask a Mike Lewis, how much do you like your team? And I go from a 10 out of 10 before the anthem protest to an 8 out of 10 after the anthem protest. Well, this kind of sounds like a brand disaster, but maybe with an 8 out of 10, I'm still tuning in every week. Now, did you really go to an 8 out of 10? Because no, I'm, d- I'm just, sort of, oh. just, just sort of pure speculation in terms yeah. of if there's been sort of an attitudinal change that yeah. may not be felt in terms of what we observe in the marketplace. Absolutely. So if I'm the NFL, that's what I'm really looking at. I'm looking at the signal in terms of, you know, ticket sales and people, actual attendance, right? So not just tickets sold, but how many people are, how many butts actually in seats, how many people watching it. But I'm combining that data with more traditional market research data of asking people how they feel. And again, you know, that's dangerous stuff too, because that can be sort of emotional and maybe that's not going to play out long term. Yep. No, I, I think you're right, and I think it's, and I don't think they've done that. Like from like, or if they have no one seeing that data, maybe they have. Maybe we're not giving the NFL enough credit. Maybe they have this data. Maybe it's helping inform uh, what they're doing. But a lot of it, I mean, also at least from the outside, a lot of it just seems reactionary, and a lot of it's reactionary to what the presidents say, right? So it's like the owners playing, being reactionary. Yeah, the owners yeah. and even the league. It's it's like we, because because you don't you have this um, this wild card. Right. Essentially, like you could do something, and all of a sudden he's going to try to stir it up again or he's going to say something. How do you account for well, that? But it's even worse than that. I mean, we talk about the NFL as this as this entity that's trying to manage their brand. Right. But the reality is the NFL has, you know, a, a bunch of different brand managers in a way. Right. Yep. Oh, yeah. And they're you know, it's really unfortunate when you've got a team of brand brand managers supporting your umbrella brand and all of those brand managers happen to be billionaires with immense egos. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, come on. Jerry Jones doesn't have an ego. Well, <laughs> but but uh, you know, like I think um and, and let's let's sort of move on beyond this, but but I mean, I, I do think it's an absolutely fascinating question of what should the what should the NFL do? Because you know, as I think about the problem, I really do come down on the side of you're weathering a storm, and maybe you're doing a crappy job weathering the storm. But you know, if I put this NF, you know, the sort of fandom and NFL fandom in the context of sort of larger, larger societal issues, yeah, I mean, you're in the middle of that, guys. You didn't want to be in the middle of it, but you are in the middle of it. And I don't think yeah. anyone knows how to re- you know respond to this stuff right now. Yeah, I mean, it's like I think. Some marketing consultants might try to tell you, like, you know, let's focus back in on the product, talk about the actual game, uh, highlight, you know, go to the highlights, talk about the storylines there. That would be sort of try to shift the focus in that direction. And that the other problem is football has this off season, but because how popular it is, people are always talking about it. So they can't, right? There's, there's We have this empty space right now. Yeah. We can't talk about, um, you know, the performance or what happened last week on the field. And so we, 
either going to talk about fantasy football or we're going to talk about these marketing issues. And because football is so big, it's always going to stay in the limelight. Okay. And, and I like one of the words you said in there, storylines. Yeah. And I think of storylines in, in two ways. There's like kind of the, the week-to-week storyline of um, this guy's setting a record, this guy's coming back from an injury, <clears throat> that kind of stuff. I also think in terms of the long-term, the long-term storyline that lives inside each, each fan's head. And, and that's where I think this stuff gets re- – and that's why I think some of this stuff is really dangerous, right? Where now my uh, – if I'm a San Francisco 49er fan, my storyline involved Joe Man- Montana, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, sort of the glory days of the 80s. And now I've got this this other thing that has impacted my own personal storyline. And that's where – if I'm the NFL, that's where I'm really scared is mm-hmm. how is this changing sort of this long term? Now, the next issue that I think comes into this idea of changing storylines is, and I think this one's really died down recently, but concussions. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. I think it, it's, so it's kind of funny, right? Like, well, we don't have to worry about concussions anymore because everyone's talking about this instead, right? And, and, and it feels like every day still you see some headline where some players, you know, uh, they did an autopsy and they found CTE. Like that's becoming more and more common. And then I don't know if you saw this, but who is it? The North Carolina head coach, uh, Fedora. Larry Fedora, who came out and called it sort of a, almost like it sounded like almost like a culture war, right? Like uh, what's happening with football and they're making it too. They're you know we're being too easy here and we're really overprotecting people. And so it's like, I, but the the terms that he used made it sound a lot more macho and cultural to me than it did anything to do with science or, you know, the way he positioned it. And I think a lot of people feel this way. Um, and, and I do think, like, again, this is one of those where if we saw the data. Can I can I just stop you for a second? Yeah. But, but isn't that kind of an interesting thing? And I'm not going to, I'm not going to even weigh in on what Fedora said, but this kind of issue of, I feel, you know, again, are we in this sort of realm of, kind of feelings and orientation determining how you respond to some of this. Is this kind of this like this old school culture of it's a violent game, everyone knows what they're doing yeah. versus this new thing of what are you out of your mind? This is crazy. Yeah, I think that's exactly where we are. Okay. Right? So but again, so do we find ourselves where you know the NFL now has to face an issue where the the population is split. Yeah. But but you know it's funny is so so let's say this. I like if you're there's certain sports you watch, right? And you're like, okay, I know this is a dangerous sport, right? Like, I'm thinking from a consumer standpoint, right? Like, you watch football, you watch, you know, UFC, whatever it might be, boxing. These guys get hit, they're getting hurt. It's clearly it's violent, right? Right. As a consumer, I still enjoy watching it, right? So it's like there's something about my lizard brain or whatever it might be. I am attracted to the physical violence. I'm going to watch it. But so when so when we start talking about all these these concussions and other health issues, do you think what's happening the impact is more on people who watch it, or do you think it's in terms of just people participating in it? Okay. It, right, and so like and 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 because we are seeing a decrease in people playing football, right? But it's mainly coming from upper middle class people, right? They're not. It's not. It's. It's. I don't know how much it's affecting people who see this as potentially a way to get out of poverty or a way to excel, because the money is still there. Right to do it. So, do we really? So, I'm I'm curious as to how we see the CT issue, which is a big issue, how it manifests itself uh, from a a talent versus right. a consumer standpoint. And as you're 
talking about that, the word that popped into my head was denormalization. Mm. Uh, do you, have you heard that used much? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the way I've always heard it is in terms of cigarette marketing mm-hmm. and the fact that this was a this was a standard product, right? It was, you know, people used to smoke on airplanes, right? I mean, it was just, just part of the culture. And it has now become something that smart people just don't do, right? It's, it's, it, it, uh, even going back to my, my youth, smoking might be something that, oh, put a cigarette in the actor's hand, it'll make him look cool. Yeah. And I think the marketing efforts or the demarketing efforts, the counter-marketing efforts have made that product into something that just seems almost, let's say, dirty or stupid or foolish. And so that's where they've kind of crossed the line. And so my question on a lot of this concussion stuff, especially when you start to talk about youth football participation, is, you know, have they denormalized or this is the process of denormalization starting for the NFL or the sport of football? I think actually that's a really nice way to put it. I I think there is... That is a good way to think about that. It is the denormalization of football. It's a, it's a long process. It's starting now. Thinking about you know, this could take twenty, thirty years. Cigarettes right? took a gener- took probably two generations. But let me ask you this: so connected to that, like, and we've talked about this, I think, before. There is a percentage of the population, I believe, whose base state is they want to engage in a behavior that is like smoking, or they want to engage in a behavior that is prone towards violence, right? Watching violence. So if, if, so for example, if all of a sudden football went away, right? Or we, I still, I still think to be those people who watch football right now, who'd want to get their fix of this kind of, of violent sport. So, you know, do they go start, who benefits from this? They go start watching the UFC. Is it like if, if football becomes, oh, because we always had this veneer over it that no, it's not, it's not as brutal. There's, there's, there's more other things going on here, but if we're sort of boil it down and say, Look, it's just as brutal. People are getting hurt a lot. Some people go away. Some people, it becomes denormalized. So people who aren't smoking cigarettes anymore, but they're trying some other drug or they're vaping or doing something else, right? So what is what is the person who would have been watching football who benefits? Is it other violent sports who just don't make any, uh, you know, they don't pretend that it's not violent? You know, are those the guys who benefit from it? I'm I'm going to go back to some of our shared experiences in the classroom over the the last couple of years. Uh, while you were still at while you still at Emory, and we were bringing in um, speakers from all sorts of all sorts of realms of sports, right? All sorts mm-hmm. of sectors. And the one that you know, I think blew us both away when we first started talking to these guys was esports. And you know, I've brought in. Um, it was after you left, but there there was a, a week period where I brought in two guest speakers. One, a former NFL offensive lineman. And, you know, a great speaker, you know, you know, a, a guy that played at the University of Georgia and was an All-American and, you know, in sort of old school Atlanta culture, you know, I think he would have lit up the room. And mm-hmm. look, great speaker. And then the next speaker we brought in was from, you know, the esports industry. And without question, the students, the esports resonated more with the students. Interesting. Right? The number yeah. of questions that were asked, sort of the student passion, was far and far and away greater for the esports. And so, with this next generation, and again, so so much of this stuff is 
is it generational? Is it cultural? You know, can you imagine that as we denormalize the NFL that we've now got, look, and I think you're always right. There's always going to be a segment of folks like myself, frankly, right, that's watching UFC and watching boxing. But am I going to become kind of an outlier and you're going to see a lot more interest in esports and or maybe even a toned down kind of NFL? Well, but what's also fascinating when you're talking the the esports, it's virtual violence, right? There's right. those are those are highly violent. There's a lot of highly violent games there. So <laughs> yeah, machine right, guns and, rather than fists, yeah, right? Right? Yeah, right, exactly. So it's a. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe that's a good thing that people are doing it virtually and getting that fixed that way rather than actually hurting each other while doing it. Maybe and maybe that's the way we're trending. Everything is a virtual world rather than. Uh, you know, doing these things in, in a physical sense. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There will, there will always be some. And, and so as a brand, getting back to marketing, how do you adapt? How do you, the, these changing cultural forces, mm-hmm. political forces, generational forces, how does a brand sustain? Because you could argue the NFL has done a good job of over the last, what, 60 years or so, or 50, 60 years of, of sustaining. Right. And, and sustaining growing. at a level of domination, in fact. So yeah, sustaining is the wrong word, growing and dominating in some yeah. ways, right? So as I'm, thinking about our conversation so far, you know, there's a number of other issues that I could throw out there. You know, things like the the move away from, you know, cable TV, cord cutting. But I'm almost, but I'm also uh, think, God, this is ending up being sort of a, rather than a marketing preview of the NFL season, this almost feels, God, it's just a bunch of threats. <laughs> yeah. What do you think it, it, can you think of anything on the positive side? And it's a funny thing, right? Because I think, you know, from my perspective, the NFL has been so dominant that mm-hmm. it's like I can't help but just sort of fixate on the dark clouds on the horizon. Right. What are you thinking about, say, from a positive perspective in, in terms of the NFL? Uh, well, I think, look, there's obviously there's new talent, right? So there's there's every year they have the, these rookies, there's people, the storylines that people want to watch, like the new young players, right, and how they're going to do there's new coaches. There's teams that are on the right. So it is. It is marketing those storylines. But that's, I, I think, think what you. I think what you're telling me is that the most important player in the NFL this season is Baker Mayfield. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be the most compelling story, wouldn't it? You know. Well, unless unless Johnny Menzel gets off the bench for the Montreal Alouettes, <laughs> okay. leads them to a CFL championship, and then comes uh, sorry the Great Cup, and then comes over here. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean maybe it is Baker Mayfield, right? Or maybe it uh, what's the guy Garoppolo out in forty for the Forty ers and how he's going to do? Maybe that's compelling to see. Or maybe it's or maybe and people still watch. It's the decline of Brady. Maybe it's the blow up of the Patriots, and people want to. That's a positive. That's a uh, people. Well, I think you know it is. Uh, the thing about Brady is people either love him or hate him, right? So if he's declining, there's a lot of people interested in watching mm-hmm. that, right? Okay, so, so maybe the word is compelling. Compelling is the right word, yes. I mean, but so, you're right. It, it, it's tough to think of really exciting things for the NFL. And maybe that's just a matter of, you know, things have been going so well for – going so good for so long right. that uh, that when these threats appear, that's all we can end up focusing on. But but Mike, Michael, aren't aren't you uh, aren't you excited about the uh, games in London and then the fact that you can wake up at five a.m. to watch your team play in, in across the the ocean? Isn't that exciting? Well, it, and you know, I think if we were just doing this um, in a normal year, yeah. that we would probably be talking about issues such as. Uh, Expansion. You know, oh, the NFL is doing expansion and they're trying to make a move overseas, or um, you know, there there's some new initiatives to uh, gain more female fans. Yeah. 
or you know, there's some new stadiums coming online, right? I, so I think we might focus more on those kind of issues. Yeah. No, and I think the one that we haven't mentioned, but I think is something that could be exciting, is sort of the advances in technology and how we view the game, right? They started talking a little about last year. You said something like the distance people were covering, but I think if, to make it more exciting to watch in terms of the ca- new cameras, new data about the movements, I think that is a little exciting to certain groups of people, especially, right? Um, and I think the NFL is making some investment there and doing a good job of at least trying to surface that into broadcasts and the in-stadium experience. But you're right, there's a lot more dark clouds to talk about than there is sunshine. <laughs> okay, well, you know, Manish, I want to thank you very much for, for taking part of this. You know, it's it's great to talk to you. Always great to get your perspective. And, you know, like I said, I, I think it's, it's especially great as you've been someone that's uh, transferred from academia and let's say have more of a... Silicon Valley kind of West, you know, I don't know, tech sector, is that the right kind of word for it? Perspective on analytics. I think it's really great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Okay. And and always, guys, you know, thanks for listening. Um, You know, if you can, please take the time to rate us on iTunes, subscribe, and always there's going to be some more content at the InfluentialAnalytics.com blog.